Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for July 14th, 2019. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, Doing Our Grief Work. Our understanding of the pairing of the verses of Ecclesiastes 3 is that the pairs go together as essential restatements of one another. A time to be born and a time to die is a parallel to a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Weep and laugh restates mourn and dance. I suggested in my last sermon that scattering stones is not about farming or construction, even though both of those applications are found in biblical literature. Because of the parallel stick, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, we believe we ought to interpret scattering and gathering stones by the ancient euphemism for sexual intercourse. This principle has guided our preaching this summer, and it will remain true today. Keep silent and speak informs what is meant by tear and sow. Though I feel compelled to acknowledge that all good literature is always multivalent. There are always layers of meaning. Rarely, if ever, does one scripture mean just one thing. So as we consider a time to tear and a time to sow, to keep silent and to speak, I want to acknowledge the difficulty of that latter phrase when taken at its face value. There is a time to speak, and there is a time to keep silence. Though it may be true more often than not that we get this wrong, We speak when we should be silent. How many times do people walk into a hospital room or a funeral home and feel the need to offer words of wisdom when what they really need to do is just hold someone's hand in silence? If you find yourself wanting to say anything in defense of God in those times, things like God knows things we can't know, God needed another angel, God never gives us more than you can handle, Amy and I would like to encourage you to just keep silent. (laughs) While well-meaning, those words often wound rather than heal. And they always paint God as the perpetrator, either intentionally willing or passively allowing bad things to happen to good people. There is a time to keep silence. On the other hand, we often fail to speak when a word is needed. In the office, the racist joke The sexist comment, the uninformed opinion goes unchallenged. There is a time to challenge the status quo, the conventional wisdom, the bad theology that is so prevalent. God forgive our failure to speak truth to power as we sit silent in the face of opportunity. There is a time to keep silent and a time to speak, if only it weren't so difficult to know what time it is. Now, without a doubt... The most lasting impression given to Amy and me by the search committee that called us to be your pastors almost 19 years ago was the consistent reference to the open pulpit of this church. I bet we heard that phrase a dozen times as we interviewed with with this church. No one tells our pastor what to say from the pulpit, they claimed. We want to be challenged from the pulpit intellectually, socially, Theologically, those were the three words they used over and over. 
And for 16 years, we remained true to that challenge. We spoke on a surprising variety of topics, theological investigations that would never be considered from most Baptist pulpits, hardly raised an eyebrow here. Social issues that would be considered heresy in some places were welcomed and commended. And given the social justice we understand as part and parcel of the gospel of Jesus, sermons often invoked political tensions of the day. But at the door, Republicans and Democrats alike would thank us. Even when they disagreed, they would say, but keep on preaching. This is who we are. That is why we called you here. All that changed three years ago. And some of the people who had been the most insistent on us speaking out, even thanking us for pushing them beyond their comfort zone, began criticizing our sermons as inappropriate, too political. Even though it took decades for this church to establish an open pulpit, defending the rare gift you have given your pastors, it will not take long for those windows of openness to close. There have been numerous issues in the course of the last three years that have called out for responses from churches like ours. Progressive pastors, friends of ours around the country have answered that call, though we have mostly remained silent. It is never easy to know when to speak and when to be silent. Amy and I do not claim to always get that right. But to be honest, if there really is an open pulpit, we don't have to be right The daring prerogative of an open pulpit, an invitation for pastors to speak their minds, to address Scripture from their perspective, to give their fallible take on various issues, means that we could be wrong from your perspective. We could be wrong every single time. Inherent to the concept of an open pulpit is not just the gift of unfettered preaching, but the imperative for congregational response even if you don't agree. Knowing when to speak and when to remain silent takes wisdom and prayerful discernment. But the voice that is silenced by threat or fear speaks of a lack of courage and imagination by both the speaker and the listener. You will have to decide what you value in the preaching that comes from your pulpit. And if the open pulpit is still a commitment for you, you will have to trust your pastors. And you will have to listen in the context of this church's historically progressive theology. And you will have to listen out of the relationship that we have developed over almost two decades of being your pastors and, more importantly, in becoming your friends. Not one thing has changed about our convictions intellectually, socially, theologically over those years. Not one single thing But something has changed about some people's willingness to hear us speak. And in the face of that discontent, we have often remained silent. Such silence is not in keeping with this church's history nor its character. To the extent that we have failed this pulpit, I apologize. There is a time for everything. A time for every matter under heaven. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silent. And a time to speak. You have heard the ancient story. Sermon number two. Amy and I spent 1989 in Montana. 
a curious gig with the Resort Missions Department of the Southern Baptist Convention. We served as the chaplains at Big Sky Ski Resort in the, in the wintertime, and in the spring we moved to Gardner, Montana, where we spent the summer supervising 21 college students who had given their summer to work in Yellowstone National Park. Those nine months were some of the best and most challenging we have had in our entire lives. During that winter, we met lots of interesting folks, among them Gent and Diane Kofer. Gent was the Southern Seminary-trained pastor of the Big Sky Christian Fellowship. Interesting story that led them to be there after a career of, uh, of pastoral ministry. They ended up in Big Sky also. Gent was the pastor of that little church we attended, and Diane was a minister in her own right. Following her compassion for cancer patients, especially children, Diane founded a support organization called For One Another. FOA was a simple idea with huge benefits for families, creating opportunities for families to come together to relax and retreat. Events were always free because many families were taxed to the breaking point by the expenses related to the treatment of cancer. Each summer, FOA sponsored a week-long camp with opportunities for the entire family. Amy and I participated during our Montana summer. And after I became the youth minister at First Baptist Church in Clemson, we loaded up 25 youth on two 15-passenger vans one summer, and we drove 36 hours from Tigertown to Bozeman. We helped with the camp that week, and we turned around and drove 36 hours back home. The next year, in a cruel irony, Diane Kofer was diagnosed with a stage 4 cancer. She lasted less than two years. A year after she died, we ran into Gent and asked how he was doing. And I will never forget Gent's words. I spent a year doing my grief work, he said, and now I'm getting on. He spent a year doing his grief work. Until you have lost someone, it's easy to think that we grieve when someone dies, and then the funeral comes and gives us closure, and we get over it and move on. Lesson number one, you never get over it. You can learn to get through it, but you never get over it. Lesson number two, the funeral is only the beginning. It is never the end of the grieving process. Grief is particularly difficult in our context because when someone dies, the family comes together, friends show up, casseroles appear. The visitation or reception after the service gives people a chance to hug and to offer their condolences. And then everyone leaves. The house gets empty, and the noise of the gatherings goes away, and the darkness settles in, but the grief stays. There is a time to tear. Hear these words from the Jewish mourner's handbook. Kriach is a Hebrew word meaning tearing. It refers to the act of tearing one's clothes or cutting a black ribbon worn on one's clothing. This rending is a striking expression of grief and anger at the loss of a loved one. Kriach is an ancient tradition. When our patriarch Jacob believed his son Joseph was dead, he tore his garments. Likewise, in 2 Samuel, we're told that King David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and rent them upon hearing of the death of Saul and Jonathan. Job, too, in grieving for his children, stood up and rent his clothes. 
The child, parent, spouse, and sibling of the deceased performs the act of kriach. A cut is made on the left side of the clothing for parents over the heart and on the right side for all other relatives. As the tear or cut is made, the family recites a blessing, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu. Blessed are you, Adonai, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, the true judge. The torn garment or ribbon is worn during the seven days of Shiva, but not on Sabbath or, or festival days. And some people continue the practice for the 30-day period of mourning. The Jewish practice is a symbol of grief. In loss, our hearts are torn. Kriach is a ritual that is part of the month-long period of mourning. And that month-long period is also a symbol, a symbol that ritualized that grief lasts. It lasts for a season, and we must give ourselves to it. There is a time to tear, a time to give ourselves to doing the work of grief. I'm sorry that Christianity did not retain this symbolic season of mourning as a reminder that grief takes time. When we buried the 16-year-old son of Amy's sister, The family and a crowd that overflowed that small picturesque sanctuary sang a final hymn. And then we walked out in a long silence out the front door of the sanctuary and across the road and through the cemetery. Standing at the graveside, a cousin of the family who is a Presbyterian minister presided. And in his words, David said this. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. I don't know how it works, David said, but I have witnessed it. When we give ourselves to the work of mourning, God comes to us with the grace of comfort. If you have been through the valley of that shadow of grief, you know how desolate it can be. You know how long it can take to come through that valley, how difficult it can be to find your voice, to reclaim hope, to experience joy. We need to be more deliberate about our grieving. We need to learn the wisdom that Jet Kofer knew when grief is ours personally. He spent a whole year doing his grief work. And we need to allow others the time to walk that road when grief is theirs. Now, the point is not to let them walk the road alone. We can be there with them. The point is just to know how long that process can take. As Amy and I talked about this sermon, she mentioned the number of people who have died in this congregation. In our 19 years here, we have buried almost 190 friends, an entire congregation. This is not the church we met in 2000. How could it be? A decade ago, we looked like an aging congregation, but guests here on Sunday mornings no longer say that to us. There are new and young faces here, but the loss of those old familiar faces takes a toll. There is an institutional grieving that comes. Maybe we need to consider as a congregation what kind of congregational grief work we need to do as we recognize the sizable loss of so many beloved friends over the years. The New Interpreter's Bible Commentary connects tearing that season of grieving and silence. 
In the depth of our grieving, no words can express our feelings. No words can assuage our pain. We turn again to the Apostle Paul, who taught the church at Rome that there are times when words simply fail, when we are helpless even to pray. In those moments, he says, the Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. The King James Version says it better. With sighs too deep for groanings. Sometimes there are no words, only groaning. And sometimes the grief is deep enough to silence even the most primal response to our pain. There is a time for silence. But the testimony of faith echoes that graveside encouragement that those who mourn will be comforted. The testimony of faith affirms our friend's experience. Doing our grief work will help us to find our way out of the depths. Everyone's work will be different. It may involve counseling or therapy, quiet walks on the beach, a box full of good books, time for painting, writing, woodworking. It may require some extended time away from family or from work. It may come in fits and starts, two steps forward, one step back. Some of the work of proper grieving will be taking the time to learn what is right for you to grieve properly. But there is a season, and along life's long and winding road, that season will come to all. But finally, slowly, Maybe gradually the air will change, the sun will rise again, a wind of change will blow, and another season will come. A time of mending, a time of sewing up our rent clothes, our tattered hearts. Finally, we will find our voice again, and God will lead us to a new work in a new season. The wisest among us give themselves to every season, to the work of every season. The old preacher of Ecclesiastes says, whatever our hands find to do, whatever our work, do it with all your might. For in the work of every season, even the season of grief, in doing your grief work, you will find God. May it be so. Amen. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.